You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I am your host, Doug Thorpe, and today we're going to talk about the changes that are going on in the workforce, specifically ideas about everybody thinking about remote. We're coming out of a fog is what I call it, the the 24-month fog of this thing we called covid People have changed their mindsets, their ideas. Companies have changed their views on the way people can and should work. And today I've got a a guest. His name is Henry Kurkowski. Henry has done some studying on this whole phenomenon of remote work, written a book, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, Henry, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Doug. I appreciate you. Yeah, you bet. Uh, and and remind us where you're calling in from. It, I'm based out of Indi- I go back and forth between Key West and Indianapolis, and right now I'm in Indianapolis. Okay, good, good. Well, ha- again, happy to have you on the show here. So tell us a little bit about your journey, how you've kind of, uh, you know, the prior life and things you've done uh, to get to where you are today. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I was originally... Before I moved to Indianapolis, I was living in Fort Lauderdale, and I was doing commercial financing. Uh, that was during that one big real estate boom uh, back in uh, 2001. And I started going back and forth between Indianapolis and, and Fort Lauderdale once a month uh, to start setting up my uh, e-wireless or my Wi-Fi company. And you know, that was my first stint being remote. Um, and at the time, you know, there, there, there really wasn't any Wi-Fi or things like that. There were no smartphones. I had one of those Sony Ericsson phones, um, an e-fax machine. Um, I think at the time I had an AOL account. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would go back and forth. And I discovered during that time that I didn't have to be at the office in Fort Lauderdale to do business. I had this one client that was very aggressive. He was busy buying up. Uh, motels and hotels in in South Florida to convert into condominiums. And while I was in Indianapolis, or even on the plane, I could, you know, type out emails and send them when I got an internet connection and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I was able to work with bankers, lenders, equity investors, um, help it work with real estate agents, all from regardless of where I was. You know, this was a time when DSL was just rolling out to tier two cities like Fort Lauderdale and Indianapolis. And I was lucky enough in both places to have a DSL connection uh, because other than that, at the time, it was either a T1 line or uh, dial-up. So those were the only two real, you know, internet Mm -hmm. access available. And after that, you know, I started uh, getting e-wireless fully functional and that was designed from the get-go with the remote in mind. We decided, hey, you know, if I could do this, we don't really need to have a company headquarters or things like that. And we set up the company to be remote so that we could have freedom to, to travel and do business as we were, uh, as we worked around the country. And, uh, you know, my call centers are in Idaho. My servers are managed out of New York. Uh, my accounting team is out of Orlando. So we could be anywhere. Our, our developers are all over the world uh, to develop our software and firmware platforms. Um, so, you know, with that, um, we had a really good understanding of how a distributed team can thrive and function. 
Uh, also, we extended that kind of remote capability to our customers. You know, we started out in Indianapolis, but understanding that we could pre-program these wireless access points and ship them out anywhere in the country, and they just need an internet connection when they get there. They could handshake with our servers, and we could take remote access from there. So, you know, we even handle thousands of locations remotely uh, and give support remotely. So it's really, it's switching to remote was nothing new to us because we never had to switch to remote. We were designed to be remote from the get-go. It's interesting you were able to see the vision of uh, coming together and making that happen, um, you know, really prior to this most recent pandemic. Um, I, I've had a lot of companies that I've dealt with in the past two years that their struggle was was um, very fresh. They They had had a tradition of having a, a, a big real estate footprint and office complex somewhere. Everybody drove into work, commuted to work, eight to five in the office, that kind of thing. Um, it, what's been your experiences as you've dealt with those companies that are had been more traditional prior to the pandemic? Well, and that's kind of what prompted the book. Uh, I kept seeing in the news so many people that were suffering because they had no remote plan. And you know, I had seen, and I talk about this in the book, in, in uh, I think it was 2016, we had a derecho come through Indianapolis. And that's a, uh, a fast moving storm with sideline winds. And it was Sunday afternoon and it had blown out the windows uh, for the office buildings and some of our higher office buildings. And still fragments were coming down onto the streets. They had to shut those buildings down for, they thought maybe it would be four weeks. It ended up being over three months. And there were thousands of workers that were displaced uh, about, it was a, a little over a dozen companies and they were displaced for months. Um, you know, they couldn't access files. One was a CPA firm and it happened just before tax season. Um, <clears throat> so we, we saw a lot of people struggling even our own clients struggling with remote, and we did the best we can could to help them, but they just weren't designed to access those digital files digitally. They still were doing a lot of paper, um, so that that was holding them back. And also the mindset that they had that was their their biggest caveat was getting over the mindset of seeing work being done. Of uh, you know, how do I know work is actually being done if I can't see it? You know, there was a whole managerial mindset that had to be reset uh, to, to be able to function uh, in the remote world and allow employee, empower employees to function well in the remote world. Right. Well, I agree with you. And, and, and you hit it spot on. The managerial mindset is the biggest hindrance. Uh, <clears throat> there are some logistical, technical things to think about, of course. But having that mindset about can I trust my people? Uh, if I can't see them, how do I know they're working? Uh, one one quick sidebar, I, I know some studies I've read indicate that for the last 24 months, productivity has generally gone up, not down. So that's, that's really puzzled a, a lot of managers in their thinking about the traditional way to do it. Do you, do you, do you address any of that in your book? You know, it's funny. One of the things, so for the book, besides using university studies and, and polls and surveys of people who are suddenly remote, 
working remotely, I was able to speak to and interview uh, company leaders from across the U.S. and a few in Canada about, and this is during just a few months into the shutdowns. And <clears throat> one of the questions I asked, like, hey, if you had to do this all over again, what would you do different? And their response across the board was, I would have led with more empathy from the get-go. What they found was, and this is a human reaction, you know, when you're in a crisis mode, you need to assess everything quickly, gather as much information, and then you try to work as hard as you can to, to get through the crisis. And that's what they were doing. They were telling their people, hey, we need to keep our noses to the grindstone, work as hard as we can until we push through this. It had the exact opposite effect of what they wanted to achieve. It actually created overburden. It increased feelings of isolation and inc increased the rate of burnout with people. Um, and, and people found that they, they lost people during the transition because of the man managerial mindset that they had. And they said, and they said, Hey, you know, I would, if I had to do this over again, I would listen better because they had to understand that these people were also struggling. They were not accustomed to working at home. They've got their home lives there. No, not everybody has a great home life. You know, they may have a spouse that they're not getting along with. They may have roommates that are obnoxious. So suddenly working from home is a big switch for them as well. And they needed to, the, these company leaders needed to have that kind of empathy and understanding on that side of the fence as well and say, hey, this is, this is something new for them too. But, you know, also that they had to listen more. And they said, I, I should have seen these signs of these people struggling. If I had paid attention to seeing that, hey, you know, this person is usually very well kept, uh, changes clothes every day, showers every day, something like that. And then they saw them degrading down not caring what they looked like, not showering. They could see in the background their house was a mess. That was a sign of a person struggling with burnout. And they didn't see that because they didn't know enough at the time. And they, you know, now they know, you know, they, they, and, and they can say, hey, I need to do something before this person either has a full breakdown or just quits and leaves. Um, and they, they didn't realize that so that's, that's where a, a big crux of it came from. And now we see that change sweeping across industries that people are saying, hey, be more flexible, have more empathy, a little much more understanding and focus on the employee experience. Not so much. It's instead of going client first, employee first. That's what they took away. Right. Yeah, I, I've heard and seen a lot of that as well. And it, it is interesting in, in, in all of that that you described. There's one other aspect that I have had regularly reported to me, and that is the idea that people working from home kind of lost sense of their boundaries. When you, when you get up in the morning, get cleaned up and dressed up and make your commute to the office or to the work site, wherever it may be, there's a there's a kind of conscious break between family and work and or home life and work. And you get to the office, you kind of get in that gear, you do your thing. And then again, at the end of the day, there's the reverse break. You, you're making that. It's almost like traveling through some kind of time portal that that commute time that's there. But when everybody's working at home, they didn't have that. So you get up, you're, you're tempted to go check your emails. First thing, you're not even out of your pajamas and you realize there's something that popped up overnight. You get busy and you work on that. 
you might take a break to take the kids somewhere, do something with you know, the spouse or have lunch or whatever. But you come back and next thing you know, it's seven, eight o'clock at night and you still haven't unplugged. You're you're still chipping away at things. And on one hand, that is one of the big factors attributing the higher productivity. But on the other hand, it really accelerated that sense of burnout. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting. And I'll get back to the point about how generationally it affected people. But having that separation is is wildly important. And I do discuss making sure you have a routine because when they were commuting to work, they would have they don't realize that they have a morning routine before they get in the car and get on the road and head to the office. They also have a routine of packing up my desk, putting stuff into my suitcase or briefcase or backpack getting down to the car, you know, either having drinks with friends, and, uh, you know, or, or, you know, meeting people after work or getting in the car and going to the gym, things like that. There, you have to have those routines at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day to really have a separation of work and your personal life. And that's something also that managers need to emphasize and, and encourage that separation. And what we saw was generationally, the people... When the shutdowns happened, people thought that the baby boomers would have the, the hardest time with this working remotely and digitally because the technology, there's a stigma that that baby boomers are not technologically savvy, which is completely wrong. I discussed that in the book because the boomers are firmly entrenched in the gig economy and upskilling. So they learn new skills constantly so that they can be more valuable to more employers and get what they want out of life. They were the best ones at, at, at avoiding burnout because they already had their home life set. They, they knew how to turn off for work. Generation Z had the highest rate of burnout because they had no idea how to turn off because they were the connected generation from the get-go. They grew up with the internet and digital everywhere. They thought that they needed to get ahead was to work harder, work more, work into the wee hours so they would be sending emails at all times of day. Uh, and, and night, and they didn't turn off. So, you know, generationally, in the shutdowns, the boomers were the clear winners, while Generation Z had the hardest time adapting to creating a work-life balance. Mm. That is real interesting. We'll, we'll get into more of that in, in just a moment. We're up on the break point in this show, and we are going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back. This program is being brought to you by Headway Exec, leadership coaching and business advisory services. Visit us on the web at headwayexec.com. Now, enjoy the rest of this episode. Well, hello again, everyone. We're back, and this is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Today, I've got Henry Kurkowski uh, visiting with us. He has done some work in studying the late-breaking phenomenon of remote working. And though he's got some long history in being a remote worker and organizing his company to be virtual, uh, he's done some interesting study on the effects of what the pandemic has done with the workforce at large. And before the break, we were talking about the generational aspects of who came out the winners, and I want to reiterate that a little bit, Henry. You uh, you said the boomers actually were the big winners in in their adoption of all the uh, remote technology requirements. Uh, any other thoughts about that? 
Well, uh, you know, it, it just, I think it, it shows that in the workforce, we've got four generations that are the main ones. There's Generation X, there's Baby Booners, uh, Millennials, Generation Z. And we have to adapt our thinking to those. There is no generation gap, but there are things that we managers should understand about these different generations and, and, and how they are. Because baby boomers are far more established in their lives and you know their careers. The issue that Generation Z takes with people in that generation is they think they have all the good jobs, uh, the higher up jobs. Um, and, you know, with the, their concerns are more about, hey, retirement, having a good, you know, good benefits, good pay rate, where they're going to go. And, you know, after they're done working, where Generation Z is more about getting up on the ladder, learning more skills, being more valuable. So when we look at managing our teams, we also have to look at how these teams have different concerns as well and how they do their work. Uh, so, and they all have different goals. And, and our main thing was with going back to, to the office, people are trying to get back to a, the, to normal, normal sucked. You know, we, we need to, we have an opportunity to recreate it and address all these, all these concerns and rethink about how we're managing people. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And all of the anecdotal data that I've collected in, in the work I do with my business owners and executives that I coach, I hear a lot of, of, of that. And I've taken the position that when we look back on the way leadership and management took care of the pandemic, the case studies that will highlight the successful companies that, that weathered through this, the, the key contributor is going to be communication. How did that manager, how did that leader communicate to their team? How did they maintain the connectivity and that sense of belonging? And you, you touched on it being a little more empathetic right up front. I think it's going to be those leaders that are going to emerge as the big winners in this thing. And conversely, the companies whose leadership didn't do well with maintaining strong, clear, you know, communication with everybody, uh, we're going to find that they they struggled with it. Yeah, absolutely. I th I think so too. I mean, we we see that those people who try to be have more control over their employees were the ones that were losing uh, this the, being remote. Those that gave their people more flexibility and freedom. So a better quality of work product coming from their people, happier uh, employees. And at the end of the day, a happy employee is your best brand ambassador. A miserable employee is going to tell you, hey, don't even bother doing business with this company. They're not going to recommend people to come work for them. You know, they're, they're the ones that are on front lines talking to people. So the, the happier your employee, the, the better it is for the company overall and the, the better work product you're going to get out of those employees. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a big thing. And it, it leads me to the thought, you know, there, there's much been written about this thing they're calling now the great resignation of people just walking away from seemingly really good jobs. What, from, from your experience and the, the work you've done in this space, what, what do you think is contributing most to the great resignation? I, I think what's happening is we're seeing people who had a great taste of freedom 
Um, and they started to see that their lives, instead of living to work, they're working to live now. So they're, they're seeing that with more freedom, they could be happier. They don't have to have this old mindset that you have to be chained to a desk or to a company for 20, 30 years, or even a, a specific field for that long. You know, you can change and be happier. And what, what's pushing people out to, and causing them to res resign is this old managerial mindset of butts and seats between nine and five. And that's how I, I, I gauge what their salary is, what their hourly is. And I expect X amount of product, you know, work for X amount of hours. That's what's driving people away. And that they are so accustomed to seeing people do their work. Like I, I picture those 1950s movies where you see a secretarial pool in this huge room, rows and rows and rows of people. And then the manager are up behind them in this glass booth looking down. So they not only can see work being done, but they know the workers can see them being watched. That was translated to remote monitoring apps. And, you know, or and, and in some cases it was remote surveillance because they had some uh, programs would take a random picture from the laptop or camera at any given time just to during work hours to prove that, hey, you know, you don't know when we're going to be seeing you. But imagine the ramifications if a person is a female in her bedroom doing work from her from her bedroom and she got up and she went to change and they snapped a picture then, you know, you know, that that's there's there there's intrusion there because people expect a certain amount of privacy in their own home, even if they're working from home, especially if they're bringing their own computers and working off their own computers. So that kind of lack of trust is what's driving the great resignation. That lack of transparency is driving the great resignation. That they make it into a transactional relationship first is what's driving the great resignation. When we have trust and flexibility, we don't need to do those kinds of things and, and create a transactional relationship where at times it becomes an adversarial relationship because they have mouse clickers that will move the mouse, you know, to make it look like they're there and working. Um, and if you have to trick your boss to make it look like you're working, that's already a bad relationship. No, right. yeah, I mean, every relationship, whether it's personal, business, or what have you, or, or family, has to be built on trust. If there's no trust, there's no basis for that relationship. It's a bad relationship and you need to break up. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you and, and that, you know, coincidentally is is the key subject of my last book talking about trust at work and the the breakdown of that and and it all again comes back to the leader or the person in that management seat being a leader and there's a big difference by the way um, but being the leader to be the one to demonstrate trust give trust and and share trust so that the the workers in turn, begin to trust the environment they're in. And you're absolutely right. Tricks and gadgets and apps to, to monitor and check for productivity or presence when you're remote, it's just a giant immediate vote of no trust. You know, the manager is saying, we don't trust you to do what you're supposed to be doing. So, uh, you know, we're going to monitor it. That's just a, I think a horrible, horrible indicator 
And thankfully, in, in most cases that I'm aware of, people have, even though they might have started out thinking that way, they've seen the value in moving away from that. So I do think we're going to see entire culture shifts in the way companies are run and the way uh, leaders take care of it. And, and I must say, I mean, I'm, I'm planted firmly in the baby boomer category. I, I must say I've seen my, my own colleagues who at least have, have stepped up and said, you know, I'm going to admit I'm not comfortable operating the way we are now. I, I used to be. I'm not anymore. I'm going to go ahead and take my chips. I'll take my retirement check, and I'm going to cash out, and I'm done. I'll let you guys run it your way, and I'm okay with that. And I think for the person that is not able to get over the new normal, um, at least being willing to call it that and walk away from it is is probably a, a great move. Yeah, I agree. Because it, uh, you know, those of us in, in in my generation, we did grow up in some command and control like environments. And if you never were trained in leadership, your next best alternative was to model your behavior after somebody else that was more senior. And if they had a heavy-handed command and control approach to things, that's what you picked up on. It was it was kind of an evolutionary process that it didn't make it right by any means, but it it was the next best thing. And and there was a strange dynamic that if you didn't operate that way, you weren't going to get recognized for promotion and advancements yourself. So it was kind of a you know damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Um, but that's the way a lot of management theory evolved. And um, I'm, I'm, for one, am a big fan of changing that model, getting absolutely away from the heavy-handed command and control. And you can do a lot more with other styles of leadership. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. And I, I kind of talk about that briefly in the book and the need to change mindsets and that there's nothing wrong with that because managerial styles have evolved so long. And I, I use the book uh, in the book. I use the example of like in, like in the fifties, imagine, and if you've not been a, a fan of Mad Men, you know, that was t taking place in the sixties, stuff like that. Imagine acting like that, then being an executive like that, then in today's world, that's an HR nightmare, you know, drinking there, smacking a secretary on the butt, things like that. I mean, it's just we have evolved uh, and we've evolved to meet the needs of to, you know, the, the newer society constantly. This is what the society needs. This is what our, gen our, our workers in this society are now expecting. We as leaders, we need to change and, and, and spread that idea of change and creating a new mindset out to all of our people be and, and lead by example that that would be you know what i would say is what's needed now because i do see some people still trying to gain back control like they used to have and just not jiving with what now people are expecting I'm aware of a situation, and I'm not going to name names, but it's it's a large national national brand that uh, when they started contemplating their return to work, and and they did want to have a return to work, 
they originally took the approach that we want one day a week, we're going to call it the anchor day. We want everybody in the office so that you can see each other. You have your big collaboration and creation and ideation type meetings together on this anchor day. So at, at the highest level of the company, we're not going to designate what that anchor day is. We want each department to figure out the appropriate anchor day of the week. And everybody kind of went, eh, okay, well, we'll, we'll work on that. But then as they kind of were still working the question, the CEO came up with the idea that, you know what, that's really upside down. Here's what I want to do. I want to have, I do want to ask everybody to be in one day a week, but let's call it a, uh, oh gosh, I just dropped the, um, I think they call it dynamic day. Mm. And what they said was, let's forget the departmental thing. Let's go individually. Look at your calendar and pick the day you're least likely to be obligated to be in meetings and just come in and be available to kind of circulate, talk to whoever you can talk to, you know, re rebuild your relationships at work and, and do that. And for the days we really need the big meetings, we'll, we'll keep doing that on zoom and, with our teams and all the technology to keep that going. I actually thought that was pretty, pretty special for the CEO to, to totally flip that script 180 degrees. And it's got to start from like people like that from the way down. Cause that's the right way to do it. Let, let the individuals decide when they're going to come in. And that's what I'm seeing across the board. You know, they say, Hey, we want you in two days a week, but you know, they get to pick it, you know, and then, from that, they've also uh, used technology to have more open, accessible scheduling so that people can see when somebody's in the office and when people are going to be out so they can all work together and, and schedule You know how they collaborate together, uh, how they, they meet together. Because with that kind of idea, um, it puts the power in the hands of the employees to do their job that they were hired to do with more autonomy and with a clear understanding of what's expected from them and from their managers. Yeah, I, I've for some time been a big believer in, in a basic <laughs> principle, and that is this. If you have done a reasonable job at hiring people, and I know that's a big if because hiring is, is a challenge in and of itself on both sides of the table, right? But if you've done a reasonable job of hiring the right people to join your company, there's there's a dynamic that managers are too quick to walk away from. And that is, if you did a good job hiring the right person, that person's going to want to do the right thing for the company. They're, they're not going to show up and want to do bad things. In fact, they call it moral compass or sense of value or whatever. But if you as a leader cannot show them the right thing, you can't set a standard and set a vision of what the best thing for the company is, you, you've, you've, you've missed the mark. And what ends up happening is this good person who wants to do the right thing, if you haven't showed them the right thing, they're going to freeze in the middle. They're 
they're not going to do the wrong thing because that's that runs counter to their own sense of value. So they're going to be afraid to do something because you haven't told them what the right thing is. Yeah. And I think that's a big burden that management is needing to do a lot more work on understanding. And it's, it's not a dictatorial kind of thing. It's a, it's a practical statement of clarity, you know, for this department, this team, this, this unit or this office, however you want to look at it, here's what we're about. Here's where we're going. Here's what we need to accomplish day by day, week by week, month by month. And if you're not communicating that to your people, your good people are going to act like they don't do good work because they don't want to do the wrong thing. Yeah. And I, I talk about that in the book a bit and about how hire people that share the same values that you're projecting uh, your through your company. You know, you we have a set of corporate values that we, you know, it's and it's different between, you know, what your goals are. It's like with, um, you know, uh, American Express, one of their core values is to uh, treat the customer well, make make accept, make access, accessibility finances accessible to as many people as they can, give great customer service, help people along the way. If we focus on the core values of the company and what we're about, and we hire people who share those same values, then we're off to a great start. But we have to express those values every day in all of our communications, in our emails, in our policies. It has to be there and it has to be consistent. You can't act, leadership act one way that's not in sync with the company values. Because that's a do as I say, not as I do thing. And that causes confusion. When everybody acts consistently, consistently with those values and from employees to other managers, to vendors, to customers across the board with every communication, Everybody knows what what's important. And when they're working remotely and they don't have a supervisor right there to ask the question, and it's either, hey, I've got a problem and I can either do A or B, from that consistent, authentic co- company culture, they know exactly what to do. They know what the right thing to do is. And yeah. when, they're, when leadership is consistent in their actions in, with those values, there is no, 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 asking what I should do. We know what to do because it's been set. It's, it's, it's not in a company policy. It's through their actions, through their words, how they treat people. Yeah, I agree. And and that's well said. Well, Henry, uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to uh, get in touch? Um, I'm, you can go to the remote workbook.com. Uh, that is the website for uh, the, the book, and there's a contact form there. I'm also on LinkedIn, Henry Kurkowski, um, but uh, my Twitter is Henry, Indy, I-N-D-Y. Uh, that's a little easier to spell than Kurkowski. Um, so you can contact me, and I'm, you know, if anybody has any questions about remote work or um, anything that's discussed in the book or anything discussed here in the podcast, I'd love to talk more. All right. Well, we'll have all that information in the show notes, folks, if you uh, need to get that. And Henry, it's been great having you on. I, I, I think we're about on the end of our time here today. So uh, thank you for, for showing up and sharing this with us. Hey, thank you for inviting me. I had a great time and I, I really enjoy your podcast. Yeah. I, I, again, I appreciate you doing that, Harry. Uh, Henry, I'm it's okay. Uh, sorry. Um, thinking ahead too fast here. 
So folks, as we often say on, on the show here, if you look at our title, we're called Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And some people get hung up on that idea. What is common sense? Well, in simple words, what I would tell you is it's it's taking things and don't make them complex. We live in a very fast-paced, uh, a, a growingly complex world. And when you think about leadership and management, sometimes the best answer is a very simple one. You don't have to over-engineer it. You don't have to pack a lot into it. You just have to look at the basic. How do you get from point A to point B? Figure that out, and that's going to be your best answer. So take a look at that. Think about what you've got to do. And in this case, we're talking about remote work. If you still have to make some decisions about your team and, and their level of engagement being remote, rethink the, the process and rethink some of the practices and policies you might be putting in place. There may be a much easier, more commonsensical answer. So again, thank you for listening. This is another episode, and we're out. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.